Thanks for tuning in to K Voice of Resistance. I'm your host, Kelly. We are just days away from dealing a decisive blow to Donald. Just days till election day. Get out there and vote if you have not already. When people tell America's story, they boast of living in the greatest country in the world. As evidence for that claim, they have offered up, for one, democracy. We have spent generations exporting our system of government, democracy more or less, to the rest of the world, and for good reason. It's pretty freaking great. Our system of government, no matter how flawed, is downright genius. And there is plenty that needs to be fixed in this system, but its foundations are fantastic. The people's vote, checks and balances, our Bill of Rights, the Constitution, I could go on. But here's the thing. We lose bragging rights when we allow ourselves to be governed by the minority, when we allow our vote to be taken away, leading to the complete erosion of checks and balances and stripping many of us of many of our, if not all, of our rights. And I say allow because we have the power to stop this. We have the power to change things. We can make a difference, but we have to show up and we have to take a stand against the forces that are working like the devil to bend our country's institutions to their will, to their needs, and to their ends. The foundations on which our country was built are eroding and our unnaturally bent institutions are close to breaking. Our rights and our freedoms, such as they are, and clearly our failing checks and balances are at risk on one thing and one thing only can restore our country. And those who put self over country know this. They are not new. There have been those in our country since its founding that aim to strip the people of their electoral voice, who aim to only allow a chosen class to have a say in this grand experiment we call America. They do this, betraying every man and every woman who has ever fought, who has ever died for this country. Today, in states across the nation, Republicans are engaging in a variety of techniques to take away your right to vote. Al Jazeera reports that Texas officials confirmed that voting machines used in 30% of its counties, including its biggest, are switching people's votes, including the Senate race between Ted Lee Cruz and Beto O'Rourke. The GOP-appointed officials say they have no legal authority to update them. In Dodge City, Kansas, where Latinos make up 60% of its population, it has only one polling site. One! For 13,000 people! And the county clerk, her name is Debbie Cox, moved that one singular site outside of the city limits, a full mile from the nearest bus stop, and not accessible by sidewalks. After the ACLU objected to Dodge City's single out-of-town polling place, Debbie Cox forwarded an email from the ACLU asking her to publicize the voter helpline to the Kansas Republican Secretary of State, voter suppression extraordinaire, and man who is actually running for office in the very election he is in charge of counting the votes, Chris Kobach's office, and wrote only LOL. Yeah, some big laughing matter. And county election officials had also informed newly registered voters of the incorrect place to vote. Oops. Just so you know, if you live in Dodge City, it is offering free rides to vote on Election Day after much fighting to make up for this county-level voter suppression effort. Don't let them win. In Georgia, the Republican candidate for governor, Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp, is facing a lawsuit over allegedly racially biased voter purges. 
Brian Kemp, is also running in that election. In our country, gerrymanders dilute Black and Latino votes, voter ID laws in some states disproportionately affect people of polling place changes, lines, and irregularities still characterize the voting experiences of many communities of color. To take a paragraph from Van R. Newark II's piece in The Atlantic, quote, democracy in America is only a little over five decades old. That's difficult to square with the America that exists in the storytelling tradition, a brave experiment in a government run for and by the people. In reality, the country has always been defined as much by whom it is kept from voting as who is allowed to participate. And the ideal of democracy has always been limited by institutions designed to disenfranchise. Put another way, the great majority of all elections in American history would have been entirely illegitimate under modern law. Unquote. And that's even without the minimum standards set by the now-gutted Voting Rights Act. According to the Brennan Center for Justice, 53 states have made their voting laws more restrictive since 2010, including six of the 10 states with the highest proportions of black voters. Coincidence? Don't think so. And that count doesn't include North Carolina, the state with the seventh highest population of black voters, where a battle involving better ID, gerrymandering, and racial discrimination has dominated politics over the past decade. Nor does it include Texas, now a major battleground for voter ID laws and gerrymandering plans that mostly affect its high population of Latino voters. But there is a remedy. This is not hopeless. There is a way to change the corrosive status quo, but it needs to be done now. If we miss our window, we really will lose, on a scale I'm not sure we can truly imagine yet, the right. The right to vote. And with that, we will lose our rights in general, just as our institutions come tumbling down after. Here's what we do. Vote numbers too big to manipulate. When your policies are not for the people, people are not for your policies. If people are not for you, you have to cheat to win. It's your only option. On November 6th, we have a chance to take our country back. We have a chance to take a stand for our rights and for our country. They want to silence our vote because they are afraid of our power, because they are afraid of you. And they should be. Because they know that you have the power to make real the America that we tell in our songs and in our stories. On November 6th, vote numbers too big to manipulate. This is episode four of our candidate series. Normally on the show, I run down some of the headlines and focus on Congress and maybe court cases that are going on in the country. You know, things that get lost beneath the maelstrom of Hurricane Trump news. Later in the show, I usually have a segment where I flesh out a topic relating to current events. But from now until election, I am talking to candidates across the nation. In this episode, I interview... My name is Devin Denton, and I'm a registered nurse, and I'm running for House of Representatives District 39 in Edmond, Oklahoma. I hope you are as inspired by her as I was. Enjoy. Hi. Hi. Good. I'm so excited. Me too. Thank you for talking with us today. No worries. This is important work. So excited to talk to you. Just because of your oh, wow. credentials and what you're trying to do, and you're a woman, and and while we have so many women running right now, we still don't have as many. So I'm just really happy you agreed to speak with us. Yeah, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Wonderful. As the election is just around the corner, I know things are a little crazy and a little busy right now. 
Is that your daughter I see on the campaign page? Yes, that's my baby girl. She was 16 when we started. She just turned 17 and is about to graduate right now from Edmond North in in my district, actually. Oh, congratulations to her. Well, to you both, I guess. She's beautiful. Looks just like you. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you. She was one of the organizers of March for Our Lives here in Oklahoma, and it was really important to be a part of this campaign. That's so inspiring. So I see you're giving her some energy of what you do. Absolutely. She's been with me through the whole process, through announcing and through the runs. And her and her friends have been um, doing some campaign work for college, and they are incredible. Um, They feel like we failed them. And um, as a parent and as an adult, I feel like it's time to stop failing them and, and to edify them and to lift them up and to give them a voice. And this is the only way I know how to right now. Not only are you passing down what you're doing to your kids, but you're inspiring her to create something of her own. Absolutely. I was one of the organizers for the Women's March here. Um, the first year it happened, just the speaker for the second time. And both times I took her on stage so she, she could see how many people it was. And it looked like a sea of people. The 15,000, 14,000 people were very inspiring to her. And I think I have a little activist on my hands, which is all good news. Oh, though she's a girl after my own heart. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, is wonderful. That was such a beautiful moment for so many women. What did that march mean to you? It was incredible because so many people, I was the only nurse there, and a cool thing happened. When we were doing the march, I was, of course, in the front line, but I was in my all-white scrubs uniform my nurse's uniform, and that picture ended up on New York Times front page. And I happened to be the only nurse that was on the front page, and so I got a lot of calls saying that I did a good job for nursing. And that was intense and a little overwhelming. Uh, I'm very proud of being a nurse, and so just to have other people say, I can't believe you're on the front page, with several other marches pictures, but it was still amazing. Oh, that had to be pretty humbling, I imagine. It was overwhelming. My mom was there, my daughter was there, tons of cousins, lots of community members, and the people who have marched and said that they were protecting their rights again, that they had to march the first time in the 70s, and now they're having to march again, and they're going to keep marching until they die. That was so heavy for me, and I wanted to do a good job for them. Oh, I'm sure you did. Your background is incredible. And if if you don't mind, I'm going to brag about it for a minute, and then I'll get fire back some more questions to you. Because everyone should be so lucky to have someone in the legislature with your qualifications. You are not only a trauma nurse, a first responder, and a volunteer firefighter, but you're also a fifth generation teacher. You graduated high school at 13 years old, then spent most of your days at the state capitol as a page. You would learn the ways of the legislative process, is that correct? Yes. You were raised by your mother, who often worked two extra jobs just to supplement her income as an educator. And you went to college at 14 years old. Yeah, it was crazy. I had big teeth and ponytails, and my mom had to drop me off and pick me up. It was absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. You had to be adorable. My dad was very much in the picture. They were just divorced and co-parenting. So I had really strong role models on both sides. But yes, that's true. My mom had to work double jobs or triple jobs. Being an educator in Oklahoma is one step above poverty, and that's really unfortunate. And we're trying to change things now. That's why it's important that I get elected, because I happen to know how it is to eat off of a teacher's salary, and it's not as good as people make it to be. And I do want to touch on the teacher's strike and everything, but I'm not done with you yet. 
because oh, and when you were in college, you received four degrees in medicine, and you're going back for more? Absolutely. I hope to start school in January and finish up my DNP, which is the Doctors of Nurse Practitioners, and I would like to be able to have a clinic and be able to see um, rural and underserved populations. That's kind of my sweet spot that I have. My grandparents grew up or lived in Taft and my whole childhood, and that's a really good place to stretch your mind and grow. And people there really like to take care of their own, and there's always only been one nurse there. And now that those nurses don't live there, it's my job to go back and be that sounding board and be able to take care of people who wouldn't normally go to a hospital or don't trust doctors or have issues with transportation or finance. And so that's my goal is to go back there. I've had a nonprofit or free clinic there since... Um, 2007 maybe, and had free clinics, flu shots and um, immunization things and those kinds of things. Now I need to go back and have a full clinic here. Wow, that is amazing. And so important right now, especially as healthcare is under attack by both local forces and, and our national forces. It's terrible. Lately, um, Oklahoma has been one of the states that did not um, receive the federal money for healthcare. And so this past week, we had another hospital close. And being a trauma nurse, we really need to be able to have our patients quickly for things like strokes and heart attacks and falls and breaks that might impinge on blood flow and circulation. So to be able, and our golden hour is the most important hour for a lot of those things. And things have to happen quicker than that for lack of oxygen and stuff like that. So it is terrible that that hospital close, it's going to take an extra 45 minutes for those people to get to another hospital. And in that time, we just lost the patient. It's not, Airzac is not really uh, an option. It's so expensive. And to be in a car for an hour if you have a crisis or an emergency, it's not ideal. Yeah, that's definitely going to cost lives. I imagine definitely, it really is. With your experience in such high pressure situations, being in Congress sounds like a piece of cake. I was in the American Nurses Association Board of Directors and in the Oklahoma Nurses Association Board of Directors. And at the ANA, we had 3.4 million nurses that we were responsible for, both fiduciarily and morally and ethically. And having to do as many rules and legislation and bylaws for them, this in Edmond is, is amazing. That got me ready. And it's so important. I know that this work is bigger than me, and I'm just walking in the shoes of people that have them before me and trying to do a little bit extra for um, the people here. We are not necessarily a rural area, but the, the statistics are really high. Um, I'm running in an 83% white district, and I happen to be the first woman and person of color to run in this district since statehood. So, so far, it's been interesting and um, really positive. I've had five or six nasty things and my daughter been has been run off the road oh. we've increased security and stuff like that so it's been an interesting run i'll say that what has gotten you through those moments um knowing that things are bigger than me and this isn't about me this is about taking care of the people who need to be taken care of nurses don't generally pick their patients and so I will represent Edmond, and we need a voice at 23rd and Lincoln, which is where our capital is. I always say I'm taking CPR to the capital, commitment, passion, and results. Hmm. We haven't had that in the last few years, and that's what initiated my run is that I was super frustrated with not being able to get our voices heard. And um, now I answer phone calls, and I go meet with constituents, and they're like, this is the first time we've had this. And we really enjoy being able to talk to you. I give my cell phone number out. And when they call, I answer, and that's new to a lot of the constituents here. 
I can imagine. I looked back and in 2012, 2014, and 2016, and for all I know before that, uh, Republicans didn't even have a Democratic challenger at all in your district. Not since 2008. Wow. So they are excited, to say the least. The people who are excited to be a Democrat, they are excited that I'm running. And a lot of Republican women have been super open and really excited for my run. And they're saying I've been a a Republican my whole life, but we have to vote different and do something different. And that's a lot to me. I think it's an honor and a privilege, and I don't take it lightly. That means a lot. I've noticed that uh, in your campaign materials, you don't hide who you are, your political beliefs. You don't try to couch them in ambiguous terms. I've talked to a lot of people who are running who have to deal with Republican districts. So they're going for the no party preference people, you know, those people who, who they're not sure they're a little more they're a little more middle of the road and they're even trying to get some Republican votes. So they're being hush hush about a lot of their liberal policies. What gave you the courage to go ahead and be, be out there about, about what you believe? Well, we're concentrating on people and not politics here. And, and that's really important in my campaign is everybody needs to be taken care of. I don't care what side of the aisle you are. Everybody needs medical care. Everybody needs to eat. Everybody needs a job so they can pay taxes. Everybody needs to have insurance so they can think good things happen to them. Um, everybody needs to have grocery stores so they can eat. Nobody needs to be in the food desert. I try to make sure that people know that everyone needs these specific things. Everybody needs to be able to have things that I'm pulling for. It is not a partisan issue. It's a people issue. Most of the time, that's what wins. And I try to tell people, let me earn your vote. And even the staunchest people who are really difficult and and nub-nosed at me, they are excited to have someone listen and to change their mind. And being a teacher, everybody wants education. Everybody wants their children to be successful. And that's not a policy issue. That's not a partisan issue. That's a people issue. This campaign is a people's campaign. And I think that is what's most important. I do not shy away from telling anybody that I had the chance to go to the PCCC campaign headquarters. And I got selected for that. And it was the most empowering thing ever. People see me, and it's cool because this is where I I work. These are where my colleagues work. This is where we live. And so we all want to be better. Nobody wants their property taxes to be in the dirt. Once I explain to people why I'm running and what I'm running for, they are totally in. It's just trying to get a chance to talk to people and to show them. And by that time, everybody's vested. So the DCCC was helpful to you? Oh, man. The PCCC training was incredible. It was 450 of the brightest minds in the world. We got a chance to listen to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in person and tons and Joel Silverstein listen about how to do campaign speeches and stuff speeches and, and feeling the audience and knowing how to run a successful campaign and having all of the tools necessary at our fingertips was super incredible. And it was a progressive movement. And so it's been really good to have those friends to lean on during this time and say, hey, how did you do this? And what did you do to overcome this? And now we're like family. I'm so happy to hear that. So I was very heartened to see that you were an activist and a supporter of PFLAG. That's uh, parents and friends of lesbians and gays, for those who may not know. And not only that, you sponsored a diversity center at UCO. Um, just for a function they had, um, I make sure to sponsor 
what I can through my nonprofit. And my nonprofit is Operation Nurses Helping Nurses, mm-hmm. and it helps firefighter, police, and nurses and frontliners after a disaster, either man-made or natural disaster, I mean. And uh, we do lots of community outreaches and sponsoring, sponsor a school, an elementary school every year. And this year we decided to do Sunset Elementary that's here in Edmond. And we do food and games and stuff like that for them every month and the whole school. So it's a big deal to feed that many people, over 500 people, because you have their whole families that you feed, which is a community. I do the Diversity Center that's here in Edmond and for different events that they have, try to make sure that we sponsor them. Yeah, I always support my lesbian and gay bisexual alliance family. And I'm a strong ally. Um, like I said, nurses don't pick their patients. And one of the main things that I want to do for the community is I've noticed as a nurse, the drop-down boxes only has male or female. Um, and for my transitioning friends, they don't have a box for that. And it is important that they have a, a box instead of somewhere in the note because some of the medicine that they're on will affect how we resuscitate them and could cause further harm. So it is important that we have a transitioning box and male to female or female to male so we can treat them correctly in an ER or an emergency situation. And that is not done anywhere in the United States yet. And we need to initiate that so we can take better care of our neighbors. That's Amazing and very necessary. Very bold, especially in a red state. Knowing some of my friends in red states, that kind of initiative would mean so much to them. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I ran it by a few people first to make sure that it was not violating any rules or or whatever. I didn't want to be improper, but we can't take care of people correctly unless we know a lot of things that are going on and drug interactions are a thing. And if we're not willing to take care of our family members, then that's an issue for me. And you have to do better. Speaking of medicine, as abortion clinics have closed, so has health clinics in general for women. Were you to get elected within the constraints that you might have, be it in the legislature and nationally, what would you do to expand access to clinics for reproductive issues? The most important thing is to make sure that no anti-bills are pass through. They're hidden inside of other bills. And so the most most important thing you can do is to know what you're reading and to know what you're passing and then to get information out to the community and listen. I'm not afraid to vote how my people and my constituents vote. That's what I'm doing. I'm running for office, but I'm applying for a job. And a job is to represent my community. And if I don't want to do that wholly, and I'm then I don't need to be running. I don't need to get the job. I don't need to apply for it. And this is my community that I'm supporting. And um, during the march, we got to see, like I said, three generations, my mom, myself, and my daughter there. And women were there fighting and telling their stories about how the tragic things that have happened and what were the horrible things, everything from hangers to drinking bleach to to overdoing laxatives, anything that they could think of to to miscarry. And what is that saying? If you take care of a woman, then you take care of a community. If you educate a woman, she can educate her community. And that is what we're doing. If you don't want to be a part of that, then then you need to not run for this office. I have a high percentage of women in my area, I think like most people do, and I have to run and win for them. And I will not let their rights be violated under any circumstance, not on my watch. Not on my watch. I can't have that. God, we need more like you in office. For anybody on the fence about running for office, what would you say to them? 
I would say, you know, be sure to talk to your friends and family, your immediate family, because it is a heck of a commitment. People will tell you that it'll only take up so much of your time and you need to do certain things. But it has taken every day for 20 hours a day, I'm running a campaign. I quit my nursing job and I quit doing everything else and postponed school a semester. And I've been running a little bit over a year now, a week over a year. And for 53 weeks, I have given everything I know how to give to this campaign. I've knocked over 10,000 doors. I've sent mailers. I've done robocalls. Everything that I know how to do, I've left it all on the table. And I might lose. I'll probably lose. But somebody has to be the first, and somebody has to do the best that they can. And I try to tell people I'm running a grassroots campaign because I will not be bought and sold. I am done with that. Um, I will not take money from huge packs and do corporate money. Um, and therefore, my campaign has suffered financially, and I'm trying my best to make sure that I can take care of everything. I've used my own personal money first because if you don't buy into yourself, it's ridiculous to ask somebody else to buy into you. And just know that your children are going to be a little hungry and your house is going to suffer on cleaning and you're going to have a ton of laundry. <laughs> but just to keep pushing, you have to keep pushing. And I say head down pushing. I got to keep laser focused and have blinders on and looking at the big picture the whole time. And the big picture is I broke the glass ceiling and I already did all the things the first person has to do, which are suffer and roll around and be sad but you <laughs> have people who uplift you and who do amazing things and you just have to keep pushing I just want you to know that I'm very grateful you're doing this and I feel like you have laid the groundwork for great things to come and I, I can see only great things for you and I guess the last thing we need to know is what is your website so people can check you out my website is devin4ok.com, and that's D-E-V-Y-N, the number 4, ok.com. And on Facebook, it's Devin Denton for HD39. And I um, am accepting donations. And like I said, everything helps. Anything from $2 to $2,700 and maxing out. We are getting ready to send another mailer and do another robocall, and we need some more walk cards. So I need all of my Democratic, progressive um, women, children, you have a mom, you are a mom, or you want to be a mom, or you don't want to be a mom. I need all of my women behind me and the guys, too. Um, we have to step up and do the right thing and try to get over the finish line. And the way that we support our candidates, if you want something different, you have to do something different. And if you want to support us, if you want to see more like us, then I'm asking for all donations. Please help. And I even said, please send hot cocoa and Epsom salt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I it's, bet it's cold and we are sore and it's the last leg of the hurdle and we need help in, in forms of Epsom salt and hot cocoa too I bet you do <laughs> <laughs> well I wish you the best please stay in touch and if you're up for checking in with us after the campaign I would love to hear from you again and and just hear how things Definitely. went and how you feel I would love it more than everything and and um Call back anytime, and my number for the campaign is 405-402-6646. And I'm excited to speak to anyone who wants to speak and to move forward and do the things that are right by not only Edmund Knight, but Oklahomans. It's time for something different, and we can't vote more of the same in because that would be doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, which is the absolute definition of insanity.
<laughs> Amen to that. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much. That was so good. I really appreciate you, and I hope that everything goes well. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it. That is the kind of person that we could have advocating for us if you turn up and vote. I mean, if you are a resident of Oklahoma's District 95, to have Devin Denton specifically, because, you know, most districts aren't as lucky to have someone as qualified, as passionate, and as just plain awesome as Devin Denton. But uh, you never know. If you have any money to spare, throw some her way. Help Devin Denton get through this final push. If you want to know how, just Google her name. You'll find her website. Okay. We have a call to action. Demand the Senate block U.S.-Saudi arms deals. A hit squad with ties to the Saudi Arabian government murdered journalist and permanent U.S. resident Jamal Khashoggi at the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul. Amid the outrage over Khashoggi's death, Saudi Arabia continues its U.S.-backed bombing campaign in Yemen as part of a proxy war with Iran. Saudi airstrikes have killed hundreds of Yemeni civilians, including a school bus full of children, and put up to 14 million people in the country at risk of famine. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has insisted that Saudi Arabia has acted appropriately to minimize casualties, but Saudi airstrikes have continued to target convoys of civilians fleeing violence. Donald has reiterated his support of continued arms deals with Saudi Arabia despite the regime's atrocities. However, a growing bipartisan coalition in the Senate is demanding the U.S. discontinue arms deals with and other military support for Saudi Arabia. Urge your senators to block any future Saudi-U.S. weapons deals and hold the regime accountable for their crimes against humanity. Give them a call. You know what to do. Thank you for sticking with me and this episode of K, Voice of Resistance. You can stream or download the show at crabdiving.com under the K Voice tab or on your favorite podcasting app. Follow me on Facebook at K Voice of Resistance. Check out the Crab Diving Podcast with hosts Patrick Vile and comedian Ryan Pfeiffer two hours a day, Monday through Friday. If you want a rundown of all the headlines in the news and all the news you're probably missing beneath the headlines with a lot of humor and a little bit of rage. All right, guys. Take care of yourselves out there. And as always, resist.